Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Welcome to Believe in Chargers. As we are now past the Super Bowl and into the draft season, the Combine is less than a week away from uh, where we currently sit. So that is a huge piece in terms of player acquisition, amateurs becoming professionals, low. And in just a minute, we're going to bring in somebody that you are uh, familiar with, a yes. longtime executive, <laughs> nearly 30 years in the front office in the NFL, many times over executive of the year. Scott Pioli did it, of course, all those years winning Super Bowls with Bill Belichick. But you have a relationship with Scott from your playing days. Oh, without a doubt, Matt. And Scott is like one of those guys that you could just talk to every day. He's a plethora of knowledge. When we get him on, you'll just see what he knows. He's just a he's just he's been around the game. I remember going to the Jets and him sitting down and sitting across from me and saying, We're doing this contract. Just very buttoned up. I'll tell you, Parcells, when they brought his, when he brought his staff in, everyone, it was like robots. They all fall in line. And that's what Scott was. Scott was one of those guys. He's gonna tell you the truth. He's not gonna lie. He's not gonna sugarcoat it. But man, I love working with him. Amazing guy. Can't wait to get him on. Uh, it's a perfect setup, and it's uh, also time that we remind you that Bet Online is your number one source for all your basketball wagering needs, pro and college hoops throughout the year. Up to the minute odds, stats, and trends, you can follow your favorite team's path to the playoffs. In-game live betting contests, all the best player props. Experience the world's best wagering platform anytime from your desktop or your mobile devices. So get over to Bet Online today. Become part of the team. Use our promo code BELIEVE, just like uh, B-L-E-A-V, not spelled like the word believe, but B-L-E-A-V. That gets you a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Bet Online. The game starts here. All right, Lowell, well, very excited to uh, to get this one rolling because as we approach the combine, as we approach pro days, the draft, uh, what better person to bring on than someone that has done it at a championship level as an executive of the year level and as someone who had to turn around programs and you see records flip to the tune of plus eight, plus nine wins in a single season. He does it for NFL Network, and uh, he does it for us here on Believe in Chargers. It's Scott Pioli. Scott, thanks so much. I know you've had a busy week. We certainly appreciate you joining us. No, Matt, Low, great to be with you guys. I appreciate the invite. Seriously, this is great. I really appreciate it. I'm going to start just kind of where I, I mentioned uh, on the intro there because I think Charger fans are understandably excited about the arrival of, of Jim Harbaugh, but it's a team that's – Coming off five wins, uh, and and I guess you know you had many different opportunities to do this, but you did it in New York. It was a one-win team, and the very next year you win nine games. The following year after that you win twelve. But you know the most that they had won, I think, since the '60s. So, walk us through how quickly things can turn around and what leads to something like that. I, I'll start with the what leads to it, Matt, and I think it's it starts with the leadership, right? And when you go into a place where any place where there's been losing or consistent losing or recent losing, you're bringing in a group of leaders that really want to change the culture. And in the case with you all there, you know, with Coach Harbaugh, and you know, I was in a situation. Low was with us actually when when we went to uh, when we started up in 1997 with the New York Jets, and Coach Parcells was there. And as we always talked about, Coach Parcells used to bring his tribe with him, right? So it was everyone went in there. It was coaches that were familiar with him, um, former players that maybe were near the end of their career or had become coaches. And then in the front office, you know, I think I was the only new person that was brought in from a front office standpoint. And we went in. And what's really important, if you're going to change a culture, you need to consume the previous culture. And Coach Harbaugh, knowing him, he's rolled in there with his tribe. He's got his people, 
And, you know, change is difficult for everybody. And I, I know you, you know, Matt, you mentioned, you know, I was with Bill Belichick in Cleveland and we went in there and we changed things started to turn around, but then there were some other things that happened. When we go to the jets, as you said, we turned it around there. And then when Belichick and I left the jets to go to the Patriots, you know, we brought in Charlie Weiss, we brought in Romeo Cornell, Pepper Johnson, a bunch of people who were either, they understood what it was going to be like. And, and, and I'll say this about Coach Harbaugh. You know, I worked with him uh, as a consultant for a year up at Michigan, and he has his own style. He has his way of doing things. It's not for everybody. And that doesn't mean that those people – but, I, you know, I worked with Belichick and Parcells. We weren't for everybody, right? It's, it's, and that doesn't make anyone a bad person. That doesn't make anyone a weak person. He's going in with his style. He knows how to win. Those who stay will become winners. No question. And when you talk about that buy-in, Scott, and you think about a guy like Justin Herbert, who this guy's unbelievable buy-in. When they talk about hate, when you you got to have a quarterback, we didn't have necessarily Neil O'Donnell. We didn't have necessarily a quarterback. We were one game. Barry Sanders ended our season, that one run in the game. We would have been in the playoffs off the first year. So when you think about a guy like Herbert and you think about the Chargers, what is the missing agreements when you have you had that guy, the quarterback, and that's what they say you need? Why weren't they able to overcome those things because you had that guy to trigger? Yeah, and you know, you mentioned we played with Glenn Foley that first year in 1997 right. too, and, and a couple of other guys. But and then we had Vinny Testaverde who got us winning and got us on track. But with Herbert, here's the thing: you know, I watched him. I was up, but I went and saw him when he was a in his last year. I won't say he was a senior, but in his last year in college, and spent an entire practice there. And I remember hearing the things coming out of the draft that they weren't sure about his leadership and could he lead people. And I didn't understand it because as I watched him in practice, because that's where you learn about a player, he was excellent in practice. He had not only work habits, he had work ethic. He did all the details thing, detail things. Guys followed him. And, you know, it's interesting. This year I, I had made a comment, I think, on air on NFL Network about Herbert not being productive. And when I talked about when I talk about production from the quarterback position, it has nothing to do with statistics. There's a lot of people that put up great statistics, but if they don't have the infrastructure around them, they don't necessarily win. And to me, the only metrics that matters with a quarterback in terms of production is winning. Here's what I'll say about Chargers, the Chargers and Chargers fans. They have the guy to win with. He's going to win. Part of what you need to be as a good quarterback is you do need to have the right coach the right coordinator and the right people around you and folks that are going to buy in. You have to have the right offensive line. doesn't mean you have to have five pro bowlers, but you have to have, I think one of the best off-season acquisitions that the Chargers have made this year already is Mike Devlin. He's going to make that offensive line better. And that's really going to help Justin Herbert. They have the right guy. They've just got to get him becoming productive in terms of wins, if that makes sense. That's a it's a perfect uh, jumping off point for this then, Scott, because the draft's coming up. They have a, a top they have the number five pick in a draft that has got some high level talent at the tackle position and at the wide receiver position. You I want to focus on Atlanta um, when you were down there and you have a coaching change and you had some success with Mike Smith. But then you had, you know, some rough seasons. You're there. Dan Quinn comes in. How much how much evaluation like how how do that how does that new staff evaluate the current players to figure out okay is Trey Pipkins good enough at right tackle is Quentin Johnson was he used the wrong way what goes through that process with the coaching staff and you in the front office when it comes to bringing in 
or getting these players that are on the roster to become better players? Matt, this is an incredible question because here's what has to happen. When you're preparing for a draft, any type of player acquisition, you have to go through the processes of player identification, player evaluation, then player acquisition. And all three of those things are different. And before you can go with the, you, there's player identification. You have an idea who the list of guys are. But if you don't know your offense or you don't know your defense as an evaluator, as a scout, as a decision maker in the player personnel department, it doesn't matter. Because not only do you have to bring the right players that fit the scheme on offense and defense, you have to bring in the right players that are going to coexist with the leadership. And it doesn't matter who the general manager is, right? I learned this and I believe this, even though I was vice president of player personnel or general manager, all those titles, and I was quote unquote picking the players, you're picking those players through a collaboration with the head coach. And you have to put yourself on the side chair because the only person that the players care about and that they respond to is the head coach. So Matt, that question of knowing what the scheme is and the makeup and the personality of the leadership and can the players that we bring in respond to the type of coaching is critical. The kind of guys that I got for, you know, that I had to go out and look for with Belichick, they were a certain kind of guy and not every player would fit. And it's going to be the same way. So this collaboration that, that started, I guarantee you, as soon as they got together, I guarantee you, Joe and his scouting staff immediately got together with the offense coordinator, the defense coordinator, the special teams coordinator, and also got to understand Jim's personality a little bit because it, it, it that all matters. And, and I'm a big believer. It's not just the best. And I learned this from Parcells. It's not the best 53. It's the right 53. That's how you win football games. That's how you build a team. People always talked about our Patriots teams not always necessarily being that talented, but they were the right guys for Belichick. And with that said, in that same vein, Scott, how do you build that culture? How do you go and how do you say, how do you as a GM look at a head coach that like a Parcells, that's like a hardball? How do you reel that in? How do you temper that to say, okay, I understand who they are. I understand I got to give them, I got to be the chef. I got to give them what they want because they're the, you know, they got to create it. How do you temper that expectation or kind of keep them where it's not overboard? It's not too much. They are what they are. And, and I believe that the general manager and the personnel people, again, it doesn't matter what the hierarchy and the structure is. If you're going to be partners with that person, you have, you become a servant. The personnel role, the personnel, the, the, the person that's acquiring the players, you have to bring them. Now, that doesn't mean that if you've got a coach that's off the rails, that you don't have to help manage that situation, that coach. That's not what that means at all. But you have to be a partner. And your job, you know, hey, your job is to find players. That's what the GM does. That's what and and then manage all the other stuff, right? Manage video, manage the trainers, do contracts. I get all that. But in terms of managing expectations, you don't get into the partnership with that person unless you know what the expectations are going to be. And that's a big part of it also. So, you know, I, I know that we could do hypotheticals for, for 10 hours here, Scott, <laughs> but it, it is an interesting one because of the quarterbacks. Because now we're starting to hear that maybe it's stretching beyond three, that J.J. McCarthy is starting to really impress some certain folks. And there could be four quarterbacks picked in that top 10. And that then could wind up with Arizona trading out for someone that wants McCarthy at four of Jaden Daniels taken. And now the Chargers are sitting there with the possibility of Marvin Harrison Jr., 
or the top tackle, let's say, in Joe Walt. We know how Jim Harbaugh likes to play football. We know how he wants to build a football team. If you're a GM, and again, we don't know what these players are going to become, and I don't want to stretch this out too much here before you get to answer, but we believe this is a generational talent in Marvin Harrison Jr. How, how do you navigate a guy that wants to build through the trenches with what many people believe is a difference-making Larry Fitzgerald-type wide receiver that is sitting there as the best player available? Well, this is this is we need to do a longer show. I, I love this stuff. <laughs> but here's the thing: let's think about this. So, when you're building this program, you want to win immediately. Yes, you want a generational talent, whether it's a tackle or a wide receiver. This draft is loaded. There's a couple of really good wide receivers now. Those guys down at LSU, I mean, Marvin Harrison, there's some really, really good receivers. There's a couple of really good tackles. Now, if you're the Chargers, let's look at it. This is a team we're talking about that's 30-something million dollars over the cap. They've only got 49 players under contract. They have financial issues. What's the best way to fix your financial issues? I mean, yeah, you can start manipulating the cap and borrowing against things, but they have to nail it in the draft. So, Matt Lowe, what they need to do, it's not just one pick. If you're the Chargers, you may want to start looking at some of the trade charts. Hey, can I move back one spot, two spots, collect draft currency, still get one of the best tackles or the tackle that we like for our offense? Is Alt the guy that's going to fit their offense the best? Maybe, maybe not. Only Harbs knows that, right? And, right. and, and Joe, they, know, they will know what's going to fit them. They know personality-wise, going back to who's going to be the person that fits what they want to do. So to me, one of the most healthy ways that the Chargers can start to get their cap under control is when you draft good players at what we call rent control, right? You've got those guys set for four or five years, and you've got to start fixing that because right now they are so top-heavy, right? And I understand yeah. they just did what they did with Corey Lindsley, but to me that tells me he's retiring. They move that, and they'll wait till June 1st, and now they'll spread that dead money over two years. But they've got to start getting their house in order that way. And the best way to do that is drafts. And here's yeah. the thing, Matt and, and Lo, you know, we all get it wrong in the draft multiple times. We it, It's like baseball, right? You get three out of ten, you're going out, going to the Hall of Fame. You, you're out seven right. times, you're going to the Hall of Fame. <laughs> it's the same way with the draft. So the more picks you have, the more opportunities you have to get it right. And this is a team that needs to build a roster, again, through the draft to add to all the high money players and, and supreme talent that they have already. Yeah. You know, a, a team that we talk about that talk about doesn't have necessarily the talent at receiver, but a team that the chargers have to face twice a year is the Kansas city chiefs. Mm. You look at them and you think about what they're going to do and get better. You look at the NFC, we see, look at the Niners, you still got to throw them in there. What can you think? What, what did you, what was your takeaway from the Super Bowl? and what has Shanahan showed you, by the hire that he's making at the defensive coordinator spot. What does that say about his team and his success? Well, again, real quick, you mentioned the Kansas City Chiefs. The Kansas City Chiefs, if, if you're going to make the make it to the tournament, you have to either win the division or and figure out how you're going to beat that team in the division or become one of the better teams in the conference. And um, that's what they need to focus on. How are they going to beat Kansas City and the other division teams at least, you know, once a year. Beat the other teams twice a year, beat Kansas City at least once a year. Because I don't know how you're going to beat those cats with Patrick Mahomes here and Andy Reid there. I, I mean that sincerely. It's the combination of those two guys. When you, you talk about the, the 49ers and, and Kyle, 
you know, I worked with Kyle in Atlanta. He's a terrific coach, brilliant mind. And I know a lot of people are starting to pile on right now. I don't agree with it. I don't like it because to me, to get his team to where he's gotten his team is pretty special. And has he lost those games? Yeah. But you know what? Everyone loves to talk about the, you know, three Super Bowls I was a part of. But you know what? I lost two of those also. And though, by the way, I stunk it up one time and got fired. So we all have highs and lows in this business, and you just have just have to get right back to it. I think the, the 49ers have a pretty good thing going. What's going to start affecting them, though, is now what we were just talking about. They've got a salary cap situation that they, there's only, only so much you can borrow into the future. You know, they've got a quarterback right now under a rookie contract over it. You know, Mr. Irrelevant has a very low cap number and contract right now. They're going to have to pay the man at some point in time. And that's going to change their salary structure. I'm going to connect those two things, Scott, uh, the, the answer prior and the one right there about um, you were talking about positional value and rent control and how important that is, um, particularly with. I think the two, it, it feels like there's two positions and then there's a player because it, it, people don't, I think, want to attach the word tight end to Brock Bowers. They want to talk about how much of a difference maker he is, a culture changer, a, a, an offensive weapon. Um, when you are talking about money and rent control and Rashawn Slater's probably going to become the highest paid left tackle in the game this offseason and you've already got Justin Herbert, Justin Jefferson's probably going to be the highest paid non-quarterback in the league uh, by the time. So where does that all come into play? Let's say you trade back and you're sitting at nine or eight or whatever it is, and you're staring at the tackle, the wide receiver, and Brock Bowers or whatever. How much does that come into play with you in the front office that's got to put this financial piece, you know, puzzle together, and the coaches that may want particular players? Where, where does positional value come in when it comes to those draft picks? It, it comes into play, and sometimes there's exceptions. And, and Matt, this is another good question because – this is where the partnership between the player personnel department and a head coach matters. Part of the responsibility that Coach Harbaugh is going to have to have is to understand the economics and to understand what it is. Every once in a while, though, like people say, well, you don't want to draft a tight end that high because then you're going to be paying him X dollars. That is different than what, you know what, they said we shouldn't or I shouldn't have drafted Eric Berry when I drafted Eric Berry number five. And yeah. I don't regret that at all. When you there should be rules. You have to have a structure in place. You have to have a process and a policy and understand that there'll always be exceptions. You have to pay attention to those exceptions. You bring up the name of Brock Bowers. Hey, do you think do you guys think that Brock Bowers would help Justin Herbert? Heck yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Whatever oh, yeah. he is. I don't know, right? You because he's a tight end by position and size, but he's a tight end that does. He's a complete mismatch. And one of the things that you learn about this game when you got into the NFL, I remember when I got into the NFL, I heard people talk about for the first time matchups, matchups, matchups. And that's what you have to do. You have to create matchups in the game that other teams can't compete with. And again, this is where the beginning of this partnership is going to be so important for Joe and Harbs, where they need to make sure, you know, the, the, it's not the job of the coordinators and the assistant coaches to know the salary cap. And they can have favorites. They can have guys that they like. They can come in and be part of the evaluation process. But just like the scouts and the general managers aren't going to tell them what, what, what plays to run or what defense to run or what coverage to be in, the coaches need – there needs to be a culture that shows respect 
to the division of labor. Because not every coach that's a very good coach knows necessarily how to evaluate talent and how that's going to fit. Just like a lot of scouts and, and evaluators don't know, you know, what plays to call or run in certain situations and circumstances. Does that make sense? Yeah, 100%. Sure. Scott, tell me something. I, I get sometimes it always kind of vex me to say when people talk about value and they look at a receiver and they say, oh, my God, they have to be it's the quarterback, then it's tackle, it's a pass rusher, then it's, you know, receiver. How do you guys put that value on these positions? When you think about a Kelsey, Travis Kelsey, what he means to Mahomes. When you think about Gronkowski, what he meant to Brady. I think that they're, they they supersede a receiver. Look at Antonio Gates, what he did. Uh, you know, you look at Kansas City before 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 Kelsey, who it was Tony Gonzalez, who you knew well. So, how is that? How do you economically put these guys in the running back position? How do you value that? And how do you put a dollar? I'm I'm lost when it comes to that at times. Well, I, I think it comes down to your system and your process. Uh, Lo, let's go back to. I'll just mention a couple things. You know, I remember when we signed Kevin Mawai in 1998 at the New York Jets and the amount of money that he wanted and having conversations with, with Parcells and Charlie Weiss and Dan Henney, the people who were there and the difference that he was going to make because we had Vinny Testaverde at quarterback and certain players have this value. Kevin Y was not only a terrific player, he was brilliant absolutely brilliant he was an alpha dog he could run that room he changed he changed exactly how that offensive line was I, I, he made a difference yet people couldn't believe what we're getting ready to pay him as a center well who pays centers do you pay him low back in your day do you pay a fullback right well it depends on your offense what's valuable to you and and part of where i figured this out and learned about it and where we changed our our entire scouting system and grading scale, when we went to the New England Patriots in 2000, started with a conversation that I remember having with Bill Belichick as I was learning how to scout. And I joined the, the, the Browns in 1992, and I'm going somewhere with this. In 1992, and the salary cap was something that was just coming into play. And I remember having this conversation with Bill talking about the importance of and what the future importance of a third corner was going to be. Right, because remember, Belichick at the, at the Giants, they were the first team that put in a nickel defense to combat the 49ers. The way that you, because they were using multiple receivers and they were using multiple receivers all the time, you turn around at some point in time in, in the late 1990s, and third corners who were quote unquote backup quarterbacks are now playing over 60% of the snaps. So you can't value a third corner who's giving you 66% of the snaps plus every snap on fourth down, meaning kick coverage, punt cover, on all the special teams. Sure, sure. There's this, there's this value that changes the player, and you can't get stuck in place. It's like the value of, well, he's a backup center, but he's a backup center that can also back up both guard positions. That's not just a backup. So value is something that slides based on the value that they have and the importance that they have to your team. Yeah, we just saw it right in the Super Bowl. Trent McDuffie. I mean, yeah. my gosh, what, what that guy was able to do as the third yeah. corner of, uh, of of Kansas City. Scott, it's so Jim Harbaugh, when, and I, I, I don't think too many people are doing this, but he's a former quarterback. He's got his own ideas on offense. He's got the, the card that's in front of him on game day. So people call him an offensive 
coach. Uh, certainly, it feels like he's more of a leader, a culture changer, a tone setter, not an offensive coach. But when you're a general manager, how does it come into play on side of the ball, especially first year? Like, hey, my coach is trying to overhaul, really overhaul this offensive side of the ball. Do you feel a responsibility to pay more attention to that side of the ball versus the other side? Is there anything that goes into that? Or does it still just stay, here's our vertical, however many players it is, and we're going to abide by that, regardless of what this new head coach and scheme and the players that we have and how we figure we could be most successful. Does that make sense? Yeah, I, I think so, because there's a couple of questions in there. When you're evaluating the players, when you look at the players, it always goes back to selecting the best player available. The times that I've been most wrong and failed in player selection is when I focus too much on need over best player available. And it's not, there has to be the best player available and it's slightly weighted by what your needs are. You know, we talked about it in the, in the dynasty thing that's out there right now and why we kept on passing on Brady. But with, with Harbs, you know, in terms of him being more heavily weighted towards the offense, you know, this game, for the most part, is a meritocracy. And you ascend based on where you've had success and the things that you do well. That's what Jim does. And it's offense. And, yes, he you're, you're exactly right. He is a CEO kind of guy. And he sees everything. I remember, being again, being around him up in Michigan, he sees, hears everything. So he can do that part of it. And the thing is, he knows what he wants for his offense. He's always going to have I, – I, I don't know this, but I would assume he's always going to have a hand in it because he knows what he believes. And, and even though the offensive coordinator is there, I think as a general manager and or the owner of the Spanos family, they want him to be a little bit involved because he's yeah. always had a pretty good offense no matter where he goes. So it's um, he, he can't abandon the offense. I don't think that would be in the best interests of the organization. How does Equa fit in his offense? Is, does he fit in this offense? I think he does because he's a good back, and and Jim respects the running game. He really does. But again, Eckler's a free agent this year, I believe, yes, right? Yeah. yeah. So, but again, I'm sure he'll want him, and you know, the, the negotiations take two sides. You know what I mean? A player has to want to be there. A player has to be. Everyone has needs and desires, and I think he would fit. I mean, again, if you find a good player, one of our feelings was. You find a player, accentuate the positives, limit the limitations. Austin Eckler's got some real strong positives to him. Harbs would find a way to make him work. But again, you're talking about a team right now who's got some salary cap issues. How much can they do it? I'm sure Austin wants to get paid, right? Because how many more contracts does he have left? So it'll be, you know, it's going, it's a, it's going to be a delicate balance and it's going to be give and take, I'm sure, on both sides. And if he ends up somewhere else, you know, here's what you learn in, in this game, not only as a player, as a coach, as a GM, you know, we all want what we want and we want it the way we want it. But this game moves on without us when it's time to move on. <laughs> yeah. Very true. Uh, you've been busy. It's been a it's been a long week between the uh, the HBCU Combine, the International Pathway Program, of course, the Chargers with Okoye, one of the great stories uh, as a graduate of that program that we have going here now into its second year. So I'll, I'll finish up with this, Scott, because and, and I'm going to ask you to kind of dig a little deep. And I know you had to watch uh -oh. every every conference, every school, but a lot of people are asking the question, 
How does Greg Roman and this offense fit with the talent that is Justin Herbert, knowing what he likes to do and what he does? And before I was calling Charger games, I did a lot of college football. And because I'm on the West Coast, I did a lot of Stanford football. So I got to see the rise of, of Toby Gerhardt and then the next level of Gaffney plus Andrew Luck. And that was a Greg Roman run Stanford offense. As someone who probably scouted, you know, those Stanford teams, do you think there's a parallel there? Could you see the way that Greg called offense with Stanford, with Andrew Luck, where I think he had something like 3,500 passing yards and 30 touchdowns? Is there a connection there, or is it just too different of a game from, from college to pro football? Matt, I don't think it is. Great coaches are great coaches. Good coaches are good coaches, right? Bad coaches are bad coaches. And I think what, what happens is coaches are teachers, but before they're teachers, they have to be learners. And Greg knows what works and what doesn't work. Harbs knows what works and doesn't work. When you see, and I just mentioned this comment before, accentuate the positive and limit the limitations. It's amazing to me sometimes in this league how there's some coaches that will force what their system is and not find what's right. best about the player. But now also the flip side of that is players need to learn to be a little bit uncomfortable sometimes too. So Justin may have to learn to do certain things that he hasn't done before, but he has to trust the vision of the people that are – are leading him. And they may be saying, Justin, we're going to try this. They're not going to set him up for failure, right? Right. They're not going to try to ask him to do something he absolutely can't do. I think this is going to work. And, and again, you know, Greg is, Greg's a smart guy. He's a terrific play caller. I, I, I think, I think things are going to be fine. I think things are going to be, fine. again, you got, you guys got the most important part of the puzzle out there. Now it's just making sure that he has his, uh, uh, you know, uh, infrastructure around him of not only players, but that offensive line and then play calling that'll make the offensive line better. Mike Devlin's going to help that. Uh, you can follow him on on the uh, social media page. Is the 51, Scott Pioli 51, was that the football number? What is the uh, significance hey, of the 51? Dick, Dick Buckus was my childhood hero. So I wore that number <laughs> in junior high, high school, college, five years of college ball. Yeah. There we go. I figured uh, you could follow him there it. at Scott Violi 51. He does it for NFL Network. Uh, we certainly appreciate you spending some time with us, Scott. Thanks so much. You're the Thanks, best, Scott. Appreciate you. All right, Lo. So much we can unpack there. Just tremendous insight, and and really not necessarily focused on player attached to pick. I don't think that's necessarily what we're ready to do yet. There's just so many more things we have to go through. Uh, the combine, of course, the workouts, the pro days, the interviews before we try to start attaching names to the fifth pick or as Scott talked about the trade back, but just some great sort of big picture. This is how it works when you're coming in as a new front office, as a new coaching staff and what needs to be done to try to write a ship that obviously went considerably wrong in a five and 12 season. No question. Just so many great nuggets by Scott. And I think, I think Matt money that maybe, maybe Matt, you need to be thinking about a GM spot because so many things <laughs> that he was no. saying, you, you, you talk about it though. You talk about, Hey, look, look, look low. Here's what they could do. They could pick here, get a tackle, or maybe they're going to trade back to see if you can gather more. Pick. And that's what Scott was talking about. Hey, look, sometimes the best guy may not be, it's got to fit your scheme. The best guy on paper may not fit your scheme the best way that you want. So just listening to him to saying, hey, if you trade back, you're going to get more picks. So you get more opportunities. You throw more 
more darts at the board so you get more opportunities to get it right. So just love the interview that he had. A lot of insight. I can't wait to see what the Chargers do. Yeah, it's 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 a perfect point, Lo, because it's uh, I think that's the number one takeaway for me as well. It's not the best 53. It's the right 53. And the way that Jim Harbaugh wants to play football, the way that Jesse Minter wants to coordinate a defense, the way that Greg Roman wants to coordinate the run game and build an offense around toughness uh, may not necessarily line up with a lot of fans in terms of who they think is the best player on the board when the Chargers are on the clock but get the right player because this is how we're going to play football. And this particular individual is exactly what we need to execute what our vision is for success. And it's a vision that has certainly returned uh, some serious profits over the years, whether it be San Diego, Stanford, San Francisco, or Michigan. Uh, It's an exciting time of year uh, following a very disappointing season. We're going to be saying that a lot, but yes, with the combine next week, there's going to be some players. I'm just going to put it out there right now. <laughs> a player that that's being talked about it at number five and whether or not that connection is made, but Ori's being talked about is sliding a little bit. Roma Dunze is going to light up the combine now. Uh, there's a lot of talk about Marvin Harrison and Malik yeah. Neighbors. And right. for whatever reason, I just this is just my – it's anecdotal. It's what I'm dealing with on social media right now. There's a lot of Roma Dunze – I don't want to okay. say hate, but just like, wait, wait a minute. How, why would you attach it? Just wait. Wait till you see okay. what this guy weighs in at, what how tall he is, what he looks like, and how he carries that weight out there. That is going to be one of the names I firmly believe that when we leave Indianapolis, people are going to be talking about, whoa, that's that's a different level. That's a big dude moving like that. Uh, I think wow. he's going to be one of the big winners. So, Are, are you getting out there to the Combines, Matt? I'll be out there to... on Monday and, oh, yeah. and all week long. And so I will, I'll be in Indy. We'll do the show. I'll be doing the show from there. And, and hopefully we'll be able to share a lot of nuggets that I'm, I'm gleaning by just kind of poking my head in between the right people that know what they're really talking about. And I can just take my little notes and uh, share it with all the people that are watching, though. That's going to be great, man. I can't wait till you get out there, brother. We got to do this show. I get to ask you in-depth questions, baby. There we go. We'll be uh, be back next week uh, during the NFL Combine. Again, a huge thank you to uh, Scott Bioli. This has been Believe in Chargers. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.